I don't know about you, but I'm rarely shocked by the shifts in our culture. Sometimes I'm a little surprised, but I'm rarely shocked by the things that are going on. When I am preparing to give any message, one of the things that I will do is begin by searching resources. Effectively, I'm building a bibliography. These resources might be a list of passages of scripture that we're gonna go through that connect to the idea or the passage that I'm gonna be speaking on, or it might be biblical commentary on a passage, scholarly articles from journals. Sometimes it's data and research on various topics. And occasionally it's just going to news sources to read what the news is saying, read what op-ed pieces might be in major publications. So we are currently talking about connection here at Cross Connection Church. Our vision, as you probably know, is life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. In our previous messages, I, I talked about the purpose of the church, not just our church, but the church as a whole, and the purpose of human beings as the creation of God. And I shared that we were created by God to be in connection with him, to experience perfect communion with him. But we've considered how that we all, because of the rebellious fall written about in Genesis chapter three, we are all disconnected from God. I shared in my last talk how that we desire this connection with something transcendent, but in and of our own strength, by our own efforts, we can't achieve the connection that we are seeking for, no matter how hard we try to experience it. And I finished up last time talking about Jesus's mission to bring us back into connection with God. Jesus came to this world seeking to save that which is lost. That's what we're told in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is one of Jesus's purpose statements. His mission is articulated in a dozen or more purpose statements in the Bible. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 is one of them. It is one of the theme verses of the Gospel of Luke. There we are told, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Several weeks ago, we talked about on Palm Sunday, the story of Zacchaeus, that tax collector who Jesus met up with in the city of Jericho. And that's where this passage comes from. As Jesus is reaching out to this tax collector, he explains to the crowds that were upset that he would interact with a sinful man like a tax collector. And he says, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So that's one of the purpose statements of Jesus in his coming to the earth. And there, there are others. Another clear expression of his mission is found in the theme verse of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he came to lay down his life. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And there are many other verses like this, like John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So all of this speaks to Jesus's mission. And I shared in my talk last time that Jesus, he came to the earth on a reconnection mission. That was our focus last time. Life in connection 
with God, which we all desire because we are born believers. We were created to live in perfect communion with God. Life in connection with God is through Jesus. That's what our mission statement here at Cross Connection Church says. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says that God, the Father, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Jesus came to the world on a reconciliation mission. And ultimately, though we want to be connected with God, full reconciliation is not possible apart from Jesus's reconciling work. It's not possible because of our sin. Our sin creates a, a gulf, an expanse that we cannot cross by our own strength. Using the exact same word that's translated reconciling in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 5, a very famous passage of scripture in Romans, beginning at verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, or at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. All of that to say this very important point. We are reconciled to God through Jesus. The connection to transcendence that every single human being desires is possible in Christ. I would even say that it's only possible in Christ because ultimate connection to transcendence is not possible until we are fully present with God outside of this world in eternity where God dwells. That's where we will finally experience what the ancient sages would call fullness of joy. In Psalm 1611, which was written some 3,000 years ago, the psalmist, which is King David, the great king of Israel, he says, in your presence, he's talking to God, in your presence, God, is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. So the psalmist 3,000 years ago, he looked forward to a time when we would experience fullness of joy, which can only be experienced when we are fully experiencing the fullness of all that we were created for, being connected to God. And in the presence of God, in connection with him, is fullness of joy. And that will be experienced when we are at his right hand, where there are pleasures for eternity, forevermore. Now, this reconciliation and connection to the God that is above all, who is the fullness of all things, this connection to transcendence is what every human being desires. It is what we were created for. But it isn't the only thing that we desire at a fundamental level. We desire connection with God. We were made for this connection with God. We lost this connection with God because of disobedience, because rebellion and sin. And we can have a restoration of connection with God through Christ and Jesus' work on the cross. But we also desire a connection with one another. Now, I began this message saying that I'm rarely shocked by the shifts that we see in culture, but occasionally I am a bit surprised. And in preparation for this message, I was searching for resources online. And 
I stumbled upon a recent essay that was published in the New York Times by a young African-American woman named Haley Blassengame. And in her essay, Haley is talking about a recent breakup with her boyfriend of five years and how that she has realized during the pandemic, during the shutdowns of the last 13, 14 months, she's realized during these shutdowns that she identifies as what she calls a solo polyamorous individual. She doesn't want to be joined to just one person for life. She, and it seems like from what I could tell is probably in her early 30s, she says that she cherishes and prioritizes autonomy and preservation of self. Joined in a monogamous relationship is for Haley confining. It kind of locks her up. She just needs an autonomy, a freedom, she talks about in this article that she wrote. Now, none of that may seem all that strange to a certain segment of our society in 2021. It's not shocking to hear some people talk in this way, but it is surprising for me for at least three reasons as I was reading through this, as I was thinking about all this stuff that I wanted to talk about in this message. It's surprising to me for three reasons. First, this sentiment is surprising to me when it is juxtaposed or put next to the increasing crisis of loneliness, which has been compounded during the shutdowns of 2020. In June of 2016, the then Surgeon General was interviewed and the Surgeon General of the United States in June of 2016 said, our greatest public health crisis isn't cancer or heart disease, it's isolation. Isolation and the effects from being socially isolated are the biggest health crisis, according to the Surgeon General in 2016. If isolation and loneliness were the greatest public health issue and crisis in the United States in 2016, you can be certain that it is far worse now after 14 months of isolation and shutdown for a lot of people due to COVID. Just this last Thursday, I came across a headline in my news feed, and this was the headline. Two in three Americans feel more alone than ever before, and many admit to crying for the first time in years. This was found on studyfinds.org. In the article, as I read through it, it said 67% of Americans say they feel more alone than they ever have before. They also said that 55% feel like they've completely lost their sense of community over the past year. 54% add that they withheld from talking to anyone about how they felt alone during the past year because they didn't wanna be a burden to people. The, the article said the feelings of loneliness and isolation were so rampant among Americans, 46% admit that they cried for the first time in years at some point during COVID. So Haley's essay about this wanting to be solo and separated from people and basically live in isolation. Her essay is strange to me because loneliness is at an all-time high and it seems to be increasing in our culture. So that's the first thing that stands out to me. The second thing is that her essay is strange to me because it resonates with a relatively large and growing group of young people. There weren't any comments available on Haley's article or her essay on the New York Times, but she did have a Twitter account. So I, I went to her Twitter account and she had posted a link to her essay on Twitter. And then people were giving feedback to what she said in her essay. And most of the feedback was from younger people in their 20s and 30s. 
and most of their feedback was affirming of her position and the things that she was saying. One of the responses to her article said this, and I quote, freeing yourself from the suffocation of society is, great, is a great and worthy challenge, and I believe that the only way to truly be authentic in existence. And then another one said, I'm daily impressed by the commitment to authenticity and selfhood I see in young women like you. And then another one, your article resonated with me. I have never been able to attach words to this feeling. I love people, I love relationships, but I feel more whole alone. And then one more that I found fascinating. I loved, capital L-O-V-E-D, I loved this. So freeing. I had not heard of solo polyamory before, but it is what I've been looking for without knowing I was looking for it. Thank you for using your voice and platform to advocate for a broader experience of love and life. This resonates with people. But that leads to a third reason that I'm surprised by this sentiment. The third thing is that this resonates with people, but it, it's not possible. Not for any sustainable period of life. It sounds really good to some people to have love without the responsibility of genuine connection, but it won't last. And in the end, if you buy into this mindset, you will be among the 67% of the people in our culture right now who are alone and lonely as life goes on. Loneliness compounds over time. And, and when you live in a really big urban environment like Haley does in Washington, D.C., or like some of the commenters that commented on our article live in places like Brooklyn, and you're among a ton of people, and you have a lot of other single friends at that period of time when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you might feel like, oh, I could do this indefinitely. But that's not how people are geared. And as people start to move towards what they truly are created for, connecting with people, then ultimately you're going to come to a day when you find yourself isolated and alone. We were made to live life in connection with one another. We, we see this as we go back into the scriptures, as we have done every week over the last several weeks. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, and there in verse 26, we looked at this a few weeks ago, we read this. Then God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. Then in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. Note this, verse 28. Then God blessed them, the male and female, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Why would God bless man and woman, Adam and Eve, there in that situation, and say to them, be fruitful and multiply? To make more people just like them. Why? So that they could live solely autonomous lives? No, so that they could be connected together as one in community, that they could experience the very thing that God was trying to impart to us when he made us in his image and his likeness. Within the Trinity, which I talked about three or four weeks ago, there is perfect communion between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God says, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image and likeness, make them male and female, so that they could be joined together. And if you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, right after we read this, we find this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. If you have a Bible with you today, that would probably be a really good verse to underline. It is not good that man should be alone. God did not create us to live solo, autonomous lives. He created us to live life in connection. 
And immediately after we read, God's saying it's not good that man should be alone. We read this in Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman. And he brought her to man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So from one man, Adam, God made two, Adam and Eve, to the intent that the two would be joined together as one, that they would become one flesh. This was God's aim. This was his plan. This was his intent from the start. And this is an issue of creation, not socialization. Marriage, as we see it, is not something that was instituted by man or created by man. It was instituted and created by God when he, from one man, Adam, made two, Adam and Eve, for the purpose that the two would be joined together as one, that they would experience perfect communion. And then what is the result of perfect communion of them being joined together? They are fruitful and they multiply and they make more community so that there can be perfect harmony and communion. So this is an issue of creation, not socialization. We were made to live life in connection with one another. But of course, we all recognize that we are not living lives that are perfectly connected to one another. We live lives that are close in proximity to one another. I've often told the members of our church that here in our location, we're just within 10 miles of nearly a million people. So we live lives in close proximity to a lot of people in cities and urban environments, but we don't live life in connection with one another where we're experiencing genuine communion and unity with people. We live in the same place as others, but we are very divided. And we may be at this moment more divided than at any other time in the recent past in the Western world and especially in the United States. We are divided over religion. We are sadly divided over skin color, divided over socioeconomic status. We're definitely divided over politics, maybe more so right now than we have been in a long time. And we're divided over perspective or ideology, the way that we see the world. Is it really any wonder that at a time of great division, as we are living in right now, we are also having increased feelings of isolation and loneliness? I suggest to you there's, there's no wonder that we are seeing this happen in our culture. But the, the aspirational message that we are being sold and we are being given to by those things that try to steer culture, whether it's the media that you watch on Disney Plus or Hulu or Netflix or whatever it may be, or the stuff that you read from the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or what you get from CNN or MSNBC or what you listen to on podcasts or you know, AM radio if you still listen to that, whatever it may be, the message we are being given by our culture is an idea of solo polyamory that you can connect with everybody, but not really have any responsibility to those people that you are connecting with. Where did all this separation and division come from? Well, the same answer as before, when we were talking about the separation and the disconnection between us and God that we were created for. 
I just read from Genesis chapter 2 a moment ago. In Genesis chapter 2, the very last verse of, of Genesis 2 says, And they, Adam and Eve, when they were joined together as one flesh, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. But then we get into Genesis chapter 3, which we've looked at quite a bit over the last several weeks, but we're going to look at it again, but specifically in verse 6, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree that God had told them that they ought not to eat of, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. In the beginning, we were made to live life in connection with one another, and we see that these two individuals, male and female, that were made to live life in connection with God, let us make man in our image and likeness, they were living life in connection with one another, totally unbroken. They were naked and unashamed, completely vulnerable before one another and not ashamed of that. But as soon as they disobeyed, as soon as they broke God's command, as soon as they committed what we call sin, that is instantly broken. They perceived that they were naked. They were naked before, but they didn't notice it. They were vulnerable with one another, but there was no shame there. And now after they have sinned, now they have brokenness and shame comes in immediately. And so they, they sow fig leaves to try and make coverings for themselves. Notice what they're doing there. They're trying to cover up their own brokenness, cover up their own sin to deal with the division. That we're, that's religion. That's like the first evidence of religion in the Bible, man trying to fix the problem on his own, but it will never be sufficient. So in the beginning, we were made to live life in connection with God and one another, but Division, separation, isolation, loneliness, and death are all the result of the fall here in Genesis chapter 3. That's the sad state of our world. We live in a broken, divided, lonely, and segregated world. And what is amazing, at least it's amazing to me, is that all of our efforts that we are putting forward to try and deal with the brokenness are only ultimately going to make things worse. We deeply desire unhindered connection with one another because that's what we were made for. We see it all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. We want perfect communion and unity and harmony with others, but that is impossible by our own efforts, even by our best efforts. So what then is the answer? Well, as I've done before, we go from Genesis to the New Testament to the book of Ephesians, and we've talked about this a lot recently as well. Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages about dealing with this problem, the problem of brokenness and isolation and separation because of the sin that came in in Genesis chapter 3. We read about this in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, made in flesh by hand. So Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 is describing a separation between groups, people groups, ethnicities, nations, if you will. You, if you were not Jewish, were not a part of the old covenant, Genesis to Malachi. You were separated from all of those things, and there's division, ethnic division, national, national division, all these divisions. So you were once Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by the circumcision, made in flesh by hands, and that at that time, in the past, you were without Christ. 
and you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants and promises, having no hope in the world without God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, Jesus is our peace, who has made both one, two separated individuals, he combines them together as one. And he breaks down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. So Jesus's aim is to bring two individuals together as one new humanity, one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built up together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Jesus is the mediator who reconciles us to God and to one another. The path of reconciliation is the gospel. We just kind of read the gospel in brief there in that passage through the blood of Christ. That's the, the gospel message that Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us, was crucified on the cross. His blood was shed, his body was broken. Through his blood, we are reconciled. So the path for reconciliation, reconciliation between God and man, reconciliation between humanity, the path of reconciliation is through the blood of Christ. And the place of reconciliation is the church, the body of Christ. We are joined together as one in one body, is what Paul says there in Ephesians chapter two. Whether you are Jewish under the old covenant or Gentiles, where do we come together? Where do we break down the separation between nationalities or skin colors or different ideologies or different political parties? Where is the place supposed to be where we are joined together as one? Well, the path of reconciliation is the gospel. The place of reconciliation is the church. So, so through the blood of Christ, we're reconciled. Through the body of Christ, we're joined together as one. This is where we begin to experience and express true oneness and unity within the body of Christ, within the church. And as a church, uh, a local church right here, the expression of a local church in North San Diego County, Cross Connection Church, we are focused on these very things. We are focused on life in connection with one another through Jesus, through his blood, the gospel, through his body, the church. That's where we find this bringing together of two that once were at enmity. Now, that is all really a theological basis for what we have as our mission and vision, life in connection with God, one another in the world through Jesus. That's the theology of it. Going back to Genesis, looking at Ephesians, going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, this is where we establish the theological or the doctrinal foundation for these things. And what I wanna do as we wrap up our time together today is I wanna move from the theological and I wanna share with you something of the practical. So, and that's really what 
I like to do as I look at the scriptures as kind of an aside, this is always how I approach things in life and in ministry. We begin with the theological. What does the Bible tell us about why these things are? And then we move to the practical. And so I am a huge fan of a practical and applied theology. I don't think it's enough just to know these things in your mind. We also need to take what we know from the scriptures, theology, and move it into practice. And speaking in kind of old world theological terms, we move from orthodoxy, what we believe, to orthopraxy, how we live this out, how we practice it. So what is life in connection with one another through the gospel and within the body of the church? What's that actually practically look like? And I do need to say that what I'm going to say in answering that question is not comprehensive or exhaustive. There is no way that I could exhaustively answer the question, what does it practically look like to live life in connection in any meaningful way in a short period of time that I have in the remainder of time that we have together today. So there's no way to exhaustively answer that question and to fully describe what life in connection with one another looks like within the context of the church. But I do wanna give you just a few ways that you can begin to experience life in connection with God and with one another within the context of, of this church. To enjoy the connection that God created you for, both with him and with one another, first thing, you must accept Jesus. You must put your trust in him as savior and Lord. You must receive his forgiving grace for your sins and you must commit by his grace and by his enabling power to become a part of the body, the church. This is really important. This is where we respond to the good news of the gospel. We all recognize that we live in, in, broken, in a broken world and we live broken lives because of sin, because of what we read theologically in Genesis chapter three. We all notice and see that we have a desire to have a life and an experience of creation that is better than the broken world that we live in. That's Genesis chapter one and two. And we try in our own efforts, we try by our own good works, which is religion, to try to deal with all those things. And none of that will ever be sufficient. So Jesus comes to fix the problem. And he stands in our place and deals with our sins so that we can enter into connection with God and connection with one another. How do we practically move into that? Well, first, you need to trust in him, not in your own good works, not in your own efforts. You put your trust in Jesus that he is savior and that he is Lord, receiving his forgiving grace for your sins and then committing by his enabling grace and power to live in connection with him and within the church. So then how do we do that practically? How do we connect with God practically? How do we connect with one another practically? Well, we, we connect with God through the scriptures. One of the things that we do here at the church is that we open the Bible which is God's word to us. And we connect with God through his word. We get to know what he is like and what he likes. When I say that we get to know what he's like and what he likes, I'm talking about the nature and will of God. How do you know the nature and will of God? Well, there's certain things you can deduce about God by looking at creation, but we really need the special revelation of scripture to get to know what God is like and what God likes, to get to know his nature and his will. So we connect with God first and foremost through the scriptures. And then we connect with God through prayer. When we are praying, we're talking to God. 
and we expect that he hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. And one of the things that we see here at Cross Connection Church is answered prayer all the time. We highly value prayer, praying for one another, praying for our own needs. And so we connect with God through the scriptures. We connect with God through prayer. We connect with God when we gather together and worship him as a body. When we sing songs of praise to God, when we worship him, we are connecting with God. Another way that we connect with God is through communion, which we'll partake of here in the not too distant future, where we partake of the bread of communion, which shows us or is a symbol of Jesus's body that was broken for us and the cup of communion, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. So we connect with him through communion. We connect with him through baptism, which we're gonna be talking a lot more about in the coming weeks, because we have a baptism planned here in the month of June at Cross Connection Church. So we connect with God through the scriptures, through prayer, through worship, through communion, through baptism. We connect with God, one of the ways, through sacrificial serving. We give of ourselves to serve people within the church, whether it's serving here at the church on the Sunday morning or serving in one of our outreaches. We connect with God when we serve other people and we connect with God when we give financially. You know, it is a pattern in my life that I give of the first fruits of all of my income, both my wife and me, we give sacrificially. And that's one of the ways that we connect with God. So there's a list of very practical things, the ways that we connect with God through the scriptures, through prayer, through worship, through service to one another, through giving to one another, all of these ways. Baptism, communion are ways that we practically connect with God. And we'll have a lot more to say about that as we continue to go through the scriptures together. But how do we practically connect with others? Well, there are a number of ways. One is what we call fellowship, what the Bible calls fellowship. It's a, a word that means koinonia, where we are living in communion and we are living in community with one another. Fellowship with others. And one of the ways that we experience fellowship with one another here at Cross Connection Church is when we gather together on a Sunday morning to worship together. It's when we gather together to serve with each other on a service team or an outreach team. But another really big way that we experience fellowship is through our connect groups. Our connect groups are home groups that meet in homes throughout the month, throughout our county. And these are opportunities where we just join together to have a meal together, to share with one another, to encourage one another, to hear about the things that are going on in people's lives and to serve people, to serve each other, to pray for one another. So fellowship takes place in these connect groups. And if you want more information about those connect groups, just go to our website, lifeinconnection.com, and you can learn about that. So we connect with one another through fellowship, through gathering together in the church or through our connect groups. We connect with one another when we serve each other within the church, when we worship together, worshiping with one another, worshiping God together in community is a way that we enjoy fellowship with one another. And another way that we experience this connection with one another is praying together, praying for one another. We have groups of people within the church that get together and pray with one another and for the needs of the church. And that is one of the ways that we connect with one another. We connect with one another when we care for one another. In fact, there are dozens of what we call one another verses in the Bible. And maybe someday we'll do a series of teachings on the one another's of the Bible because there are probably more than 50 one another verses in the Bible which say things like love one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, share with one another. Our aim as a church, as we are seeking to live life in connection with one another, 
is to daily learn more and more what it looks like to actually live out the one another's of scripture. We aim to experience, express, and to extend this life in connection in all that we do. And that final E there, that we aim to experience, express, and extend life and connection and all that we do, that final E, extend, that's what we're gonna be talking about next time because our vision is life in connection with God, which we've talked about, life in connection with one another, which I've been talking about today, and life in connection with the world. Extending this good news that we can experience, the very thing that we were created for, connecting with God, connecting with one another, sharing that with the people of our community, of our family, the people that you work with or live next door to, extending this good news. This is actually what Jesus commissioned his followers to do at the end of the gospels. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, telling them this good news about restored connection, being reconciled to God and one another, sharing that with the world. So as we get together next week, we're gonna be talking about life in connection with the world, how we do that, why we do that, what is the whole theological basis for it? And how do we practically live that out? So I hope that you'll join with us next time as we talk about that. Father God, I pray that you would take the truths of your word and you would cause them to go deep into our hearts and that they would, like a seed, take root and that they would begin to grow up and produce fruit in our lives. And Lord, I pray for those who are watching this, who already have a relationship with you, they've already trusted in you for salvation, that you would begin to produce in their lives fruit, the evidence of your spirit dwelling in them, love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, gentleness, all of these good things described in Galatians chapter five, cause that to be fruit in our lives. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's watching this right now, who has not yet put their trust in you, and I, I pray that you would draw them by your spirit to pray to you and to ask you to come into their life to forgive them of their sin, that they would trust not in their own good works or their own efforts, but they would trust in you for your saving grace and your forgiveness and that you would begin to do a work of grace in their life. So draw them to yourself, I pray today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.